Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. Let me welcome to the show. Um, yes, I'm going to bring Amber in, former executive director of the Minority Cannabis Business and, and, and Association. And we, I'm so glad that we booked her, ironically, on a day that somebody gets released from a Russian jail for having cannabis. And on the day that President Biden signed something into law, let's talk about it. Amber Littlejohn, welcome back to the Karen Hunter Show. Hello, hello, Karen, and thank you for having me back. Yeah, what a beautiful coincidence. Yes, and you're also a lawyer. So can I can I just yeah, say that? I'm a yes. lawyer. I am the the founder and president of Equitas Strategies. So I do advising and advocacy and policy development in cannabis all over the country. As as you're listening to to some of these calls, particularly the last one regarding uh you know legality and you know she should have known should have known it was against the law. How how do how do we navigate all of the misinformation that's out there, but also the strands because there's strings and strands of truth that people weave together to make a story that makes them feel comfortable. And I don't know what your goal is individually to feel comfortable with a Brittany Griner being arrested and being sentenced to nine and a half years, being sent to a penal colony, being in a cage, coming to court like for cannabis. Make it yeah, make for sense. cannabis. Yes. I think it's really uh, to really understand how unjust these laws are. You need look no further than our own country, um, because if we take that same logic that she was breaking the law and apply it to the United States, then that effectively would give us cover for, for the way that we have enforced cannabis laws in this country. And go back to the inception of these laws, they were specifically designed. And now, mind you, this is not my speculation or my feelings. The people who in the 1970s designed these laws came out and said afterwards, we can't arrest you for being Black or Mexican, so we are going to create these laws so we can still put you in jail. And they have been effective in doing so. We have an average of four times the the rate of arrests for, for Black people, despite equal rates of use. And we have places in the South where we're talking double digits, 16%, 10, 16, 13%, 13 times higher uh, for Black people than, than non-Blacks. And again, we're talking equal rates of use. So if all things are equal and we are not and the intent behind the laws are injustice and the end result is injustice, then whether or not somebody is breaking the law is not truly the moral issue. Moral issue. Mm. I don't even know where morality, how did morality get into marijuana? What did that become a moral? (laughs) It's like people smoke cigarettes. That's not moral, right? Cigarettes are not moral. Alcohol is not, well, maybe some people would say, you know, but then Jesus's first miracle was turning water into wine. So wine is okay, but the hard liquor is uh, Satan's tool. Uh, so when did this become a moral issue? It's, it's really, uh, I, I love that you, 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 uh, I, I, you noted that part because I actually was was giving a talk not too long ago and talking about the fact that as a country, we do not have a collective moral conscience. Uh, we just don't. We, we no longer have that. What we can say, I mean, Because you'd think that things like slavery is bad would be part of our collective moral conscience. But yet here we are in 2022, and that is possibly not even 
something that we can agree on. So when it comes to these laws, again, looking, I, I try and encourage people to look at the practical impacts of things. And so, yes, we can look at it from the moral imperative, but then we're going to argue about it all day long. What is moral? Uh, when you are disenfranchising people, you are keeping them from being pr productive citizens, you are depriving them of fundamental rights. Then I think we can start to get into where morality intersects with the constitution, which is probably the closest representation we have to reflect our <laughs> values as a country, I guess. That constitution written by men that owned human beings and some of them even raped human beings and kept them in bondage, Thomas Jefferson. So that, that is our probably closest thing we have to agreement on how we feel as a country. Um, yes, a document written by slave owners. Right, which we should, I think, uh, the way many countries are, and states even, are re-imagining their own state constitutions, several of whom have looked at the 13th Amendment in their own state constitution and removed the exception clause uh, for incarceration. As, you know, we, we're not for slavery in any way. We're going to remove that exception clause, including imprisonment. I think it, it really took a lot of people by surprise that, that there is an exception to slavery uh, when sla the actual slavery in the definition that we all understand as slavery is still legal in our country. I think that really took a lot of people by surprise. But when you are looking at the most disenfranchised of the disenfranchised, people don't necessarily care. So we go back to that lack of any sort of something that even within the Black community, the lack of a collective conscience. So again, because there is an idea that, well, you're in prison, um, so people can do what they want with you. But again, forcing people into slavery because they have broken the law um, is something very different than requiring people to spend, pay some sort of productive debt to society. Amber, Amber Littlejohn is here. Uh, Equitas Strategies is where you can see her work right now. Uh, President Biden today officially signed a marijuana research bill into law. Um, what does that mean for the potential of cannabis to be made federally legal? And what will a legal cannabis status mean for incarcerate people with cannabis uh, convictions and folk in business right now in the cannabis business. So there is a part of me that wants to be really excited about this research bill because it is a piece of cannabis legislation. But if unfortunately, <laughs> I feel like I always come on here, the bear of bad news. Um, but the reality of that bill is it's a very pharmaceutical centric bill. Um, it paves a way to make it easier for pharmaceutical research. It does, however, make Wait, it easier. Pause, pause. Why am I not surprised? At all. <laughs> I mean, we, why am I not surprised? What is it? Yeah. Oh, is it? Is it the money? Must be the money. Is it the yeah. money that the pharmaceutical lobby has and has shielded them from their responsibility until quite recently as it relates to uh, opioids and other uh, harmful, detrimental to society uh, 
well, they're losing ground to cannabis in legal cannabis states. And they're like, well, hey, we want to be able to protect that market. And at the end of the day, if you look at the mission of the FDA that changes all the time, mind you, um, if you look at the current mission of the FDA, it is very much protective of pharmaceutical development as opposed to any sort of alternative therapy. So it really does protect uh, a pathway for pharmaceutical cannabis development. Um, but it does do a few other things, including allowing folks to actually use products in cannabis research that is represented. It used to, all the cannabis came from one place and it was moldy and low potency. So now it will make a, a greater range of products available. And how that impacts legalization, hopefully, is that the more data that comes in that cannabis is actually useful as medicine, the less justification the federal government has to maintain cannabis as a Schedule One drug, which is the sort of building block of, of federal prohibition. Um, right up there with heroin. Mind you, fentanyl is actually scheduled lower than cannabis, as is uh, Caucasian cocaine. Um, crack what? cocaine. Oh, I see what you're saying. You said Caucasian crack cocaine. Co- is, uh, is melanemic cocaine. I like Caucasian cocaine, cocaine, though. That's interesting. Co- yeah, so crack cocaine is actually Schedule One, where the other, the investment banker cocaine is is uh, Schedule Two. Wow, uh, which we already know. Which is what I was saying. You know, it's it's really when you start to follow the bouncing ball, you you start to see a, the conspiracy of not just the demonization of a whole entire community, but incarceration, criminalization with a purpose, going back to that exception clause in the 13th Amendment, because this country has never not benefited from slavery. This is what the culture was built upon, and it will continue to be built upon. And they're going to figure out ways to do that. And if it means we're going to flood these communities, first, we're going to make this illegal widely like double down on it, 30 year penalty, et cetera. Then we're going to flood the community. Then we're going to incarcerate for long periods of time. Right. And then that also what it does is it makes the world look at this community as criminals, druggy, you know, degenerates, but it's all part of that domino. And we're not making this up. It's like right there in plain sight. Why don't more people know Amber, little John, Because, again, I I think even the people that should intellectually know these things, just it's so normalized. The rhetoric that cannabis is bad and it's criminal and it's associated because we've been running these narratives on cannabis since the 1920s and 30s. Cannabis is going to make you commit crime. Cannabis is going to make Caucasian women sleep with black jazz musicians. And that's not me making up stuff. That's literally uh, quotes from federal government officials. Um, They actually put that, they put that into pamphlets. Yeah. (laughs) pamphlets. So this is, this is generations just really ingrained into us. And the, the troubling thing is that this still exists, even with our own community, within our own communities. And then when you take an ingrained generational trauma around substance abuse and just the trauma around racism. And then you mix that in with misinformation around drugs um, and cannabis specifically, there is a lot of opposition that even comes from within the black and Latino communities. Where's the pressure point? Amber Littlejohn is here on this administration. I feel like bringing Brittany home can be an opening to have this, you know, the bill signed today. I don't know if this is all teeing up, 
uh, where's the pressure point to federally legalize? And let me just say, uh, if you live next door to people that smoke a lot of cannabis, you're not happy because I've had that experience in my life. And uh, I have a friend that actually moved, sold her condo because the next door neighbors smoke so much. And you can't tell people that they can't smoke in their own homes, especially if it's legal in that state. But it's terrorizing to somebody who doesn't smoke. I don't want to smell your smoke, you know, like be more eat edibles or something. But so I'm totally anti (laughs) that, but I'm also anti criminalizing it at the same time. Where's the pressure point for this administration to federally legalize cannabis? So when Biden issued his order pardoning simple cannabis possession uh, at the federal government level, uh, he also part of that order was also advising uh, his administration to review cannabis's ske- uh, status as a Schedule One substance. Um, uh, a few weeks ago, I actually had the opportunity to testify before Congress at a shockingly bipartisan hearing on cannabis legalization. And so it's really about putting pressure on the Biden administration to understand that no incremental fix will holistically address the problems that were created. And we are talking about catastrophic generational consequences. And additionally, it makes it a a really difficult, if not impossible task to stand up and implement a responsible regulated industry when we have this tension between federal illegality and um, and state legality. And if we want it to be a diverse and equitable industry at all, that's not going to happen as long as we maintain uh, cannabis, cannabis as a Schedule One substance. Um, it's really important to remember that President Nixon's own committee that he sent out to research cannabis came back and said to him first, we need to just decriminalize. You know, let's let's decriminalize. And he didn't like that. So he threw away the report and came up with a new one. And so the experts that came to Nixon and said, the scientific evidence does not support you making this illegal. Um, So we didn't schedule cannabis on schedule one with scientific evidence to do so, but now we are being required to apply that that standard. And, And again, the idea that cannabis is not medically, there's no medical benefit, Um, is really obviously not true since we actually have approved pharmaceutical drugs uh, derived from cannabis. So um, (laughs) really putting pressure on him on, on the, on that angle. And, and one of his big commitments has been uh, equity and justice. So uh, both from a practical public health perspective and the equity perspective. And also holding these pharmaceutical companies uh, accountable and companies like Juul, the Juul Labs, they have reached a settlement covering more than 5,000 cases that were brought by 10,000 plaintiffs related to their vaping products uh, because everything's not equal. You got to protect people's lungs. And, and you know, Philip Mars like, OK, we can't do the cigarettes. Let's move over here. You know, these these companies like, oh, OK, we cigarettes. All right. Let's move over to these vape things that the, the children, the young people are doing uh, very much. So uh, they announced hundreds of layoffs last month as well. And bankruptcy appears likely with the Joel Labs, uh, the e-cigarette makers faced uh, thousands of suits uh, brought uh, by individuals and family users uh, because of the high nicotine pods and people getting hooked on them and the chemicals that have been leached. And you were talking earlier about the cannabis with the mold and stuff. Stop buying your cannabis from the uh, bodegas because 
those vape pens probably been, you know, somewhere. And you I don't, don't know. know what's in you them. Know, often. You don't know. So uh, I'm, I'm imagining you, you agree with the lawsuits, Amber. So I, you know, when the, a lot of the lawsuits are really just based on initial representations when vape cartridges and and when tobacco smokeless tobacco products came out the marketing was really aggressively this is safe and that's where they went wrong instead of saying hey this is still not great but it's better than smoking or it's an alternative to smoking um so it, it the, the lawsuits are really based in misinformation and and an overstep uh, I think it's very instructive for cannabis because there is a misconception among the cannabis uh, industry that because you can't die from a cannabis overdose, that we don't really have to be mindful of examining the full range of potential public health consequences that exist around it. And mind you, I am a cannabis advocate, but I am also an advocate for ensuring that we are protecting uh, people that are physically uh, and mentally vulnerable. Um, And so we have so much we could be learning from. We have generations of missteps in the tobacco industry um, that we could be learning from as a cannabis industry. And and I would love to, again, see a lot more commitment as far as that goes. I'm committed on this show, uh, I know Larry Daniel Favors is also uh, big uh, in this space as well. As a non-cannabis user, I understand the political ramifications and the power dynamics. And so, yes, I'm totally in the in the in the space of legalizing it and definitely decriminalizing it because I know it's been a tool uh, used to keep us in bondage. That said, uh, I think health is important, but we should also be able to study it because of the cannabinoids that are in our bodies. Uh, and it links up with what's in cannabis naturally. And it, it can provide, we know for people that suffer from, we knew from the, the, the cancer realm that cannabis helped with people doing chemo. We, we know with folk coming back from, you know, the military from war that has helped with PTSD, even though the VA won't allow that, they'd rather you take opioids and get hooked on that than to use cannabis, which will help soothe. We know anxiety it's good for, we know Brittany Griner was using it for that. Um, uh, I do think people use it as a crutch as well and use too much of it. And they think it helps them become more creative. I've seen that cause I've been in the rap space and I'm like, no, you just are, you know, nope. You're just uh, high, actually. Yeah, you just like to be high. Just, uh, that's it. And having been stuck in a car with Biggie, where every I was like, I am dying here. Please, somebody roll down a window. This is terrible. Spending a day with too many rappers being trapped in the car. I don't believe in that. I just don't believe in it. What is your What is your way in which do you are you a uh, um, a casual user, Amber? Or do you use it all, or are you just an advocate? So I, I always laugh with people because I get a little grief from the young ones. But I don't. I don't currently consume cannabis. I have. I am not a post i have consumed sufficient cannabis for probably 10 people's lifetimes uh-huh. um, uh just i you know as i grow older and cannabis grows stronger and my life grows busier um it just hasn't been a fit i don't drink alcohol that much either so <laughs> come it's on just through maturity time. and growing up and being admitting that sometimes what you did in your 20s doesn't work in your 40s and 50s come on we can we do that can we can we grow yeah. out of things yes 
We can. And there is a whole beautiful class of products for people who are a more sophisticated user. We have beautiful like microdose time-released capsules and it's very sophisticated. And when I have time, I look forward to exploring that. Um, (laughs) But for me, it's just... You gotta you focus. Know, you need to be. I gotta I keep full. it ripping and running. Yes. So. I listen. I you need us all to be of sober mind and and be ready because there's a lot of stuff being thrown at us. But I also need. And three year olds to- are a buzzkill. I've got a three year old. <laughs> you have a three year old. Mercy. Yes, they will mess with your high. I'm sure, especially when they need things. All right, you've said a <laughs> lot. But there's some parents that say they need cannabis because of their three year olds. But yes, listen. Uh, no judgment. But Amber, thank you for for sharing all of this and definitely keep coming back. Keep coming back. I appreciate you, Amber Littlejohn. Uh, She is out there. Thank you. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to the Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.